Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. This evening we will be getting into chapter 4 on the hills of tidying up chapter 3. But before we do that, I did just want to continue to extend a very warm thank you to all of you out there who are taking time out of your busy schedules to join me as we reflect into the beauty of the Christian and Catholic life, especially as it comes to us from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. As I've noted in the past, this letter and both letters really to the church of Corinth are so very rich. One verse will have us thinking deeply about um, our faith, and then the next verse right, will have us thinking practically about our faith, and that's what's so beautiful, and, and that's what faith does, right? When you talk about what we do here on Seeds of Truth, it really is theology in its truest sense. We take that definition of theology, faith-seeking understanding, and we explore that. What is our faith all about, right? And then what does that have to do with our everyday life? Paul is constantly asking those kinds of questions, right? I mean, yes, as we have seen, both epistles to Corinth are about him responding to the questions that come from the people of Corinth. And it's just not one or two questions he's responding to. He's responding to a whole plethora of questions. And as he's responding to a whole plethora of questions, what he's providing for us is a whole plethora of answers. Copious amounts of preaching and teaching that ought to have us reflecting into who we are as created in the image and likeness of God. What does it mean to say that? You know, last week, as we were wrapping up our reflections with chapter 3, we were talking about the glory of God. And in fact, if you have your Bibles out, I want to go back to those last few verses, 17 and 18. Verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now what I want to do, my friends, is go back to this phrase, are being changed into his likeness. That being changed is the same Greek used where? But in the transfiguration, where our Lord is changed before Peter, James, and John up on that mountaintop. In the transfiguration, what you have is Jesus Christ without ceasing to be who he was, ultimately became something more before the three apostles. Now, what does that have to do with us? Everything. Because if we are going to become the person who God is calling us to be, what do we need to do? Be true to ourselves, be true to who we are as created in the image and likeness of God, but mindful that God calls us to deeper conversion. God calls us to something more without ceasing to be who we are, right? Now, some of you might be asking the question, what do you mean by this without ceasing to be who you are and being true to yourself? And Well, we have to appreciate that there is something that is unique 
to each and every one of us. Each and every one of us not only has a particular gift and, and particular talent, but we are who we are because of the sum total of all of our experiences that are drawn out from what? All of our relationships. Nothing can replace that. So Joe Holcraft, at the age of 42, is Joe Holcraft because I'm one of 11 kids who, when growing up, and many, many different kinds of experiences that only having 10 siblings can bring about, okay? And out from that, I went to college and I found myself in the workplace and all of those relationships and all those encounters that I have have brought about the sum total of who I am today. Now, based upon that sum total of who I am today at the age of 42, I don't now go out and become someone that I'm not. But based upon all of my experiences, all of my encounters, what I've learned in the workplace, what I've learned in my travels, I put that into practice, okay? And this is what God wants us to do. The becoming something more essentially is the end game. Why? Because Jesus wants us, in that gift we received in baptism, to draw from the divine life that is living within us, so as to what? (laughs) Give glory to Him. What did this verse say? And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of God. So we behold the glory of God and we in turn reflect that glory. Do we not? And when we do this, when we behold the glory of God and when we practice virtue, we become the person who God has called us to be. We become the best version of who God has called us to be without ever ceasing to be who we are. I mean, we can put it another way. If you admire someone and you want to be just like that person you admire, that means that you are not fulfilling your vocation to become the person that God is calling you to be. Why? Because you want to be someone other than yourself. And God says, no, 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 no. You need to be who you are, right? You are Joseph Robert Holcraft, right? You are not anyone else but Joseph Robert Holcraft. There's a very concreteness. There is a very particularity that is drawn out from the history of who you are And being true to who I am before God, I seek to become something more in His divine life. We must remember that this being changed into His likeness is in the passive voice, right? That means someone else is moving this transformation. And who is that? Well, Paul says, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the love shared between the Father and the Son. So if we want to love like Jesus loves then we do so in the Holy Spirit. And being true to who we are in our humanity, we become something more in God's divinity. This is what the transfiguration is about, and this is what the transfiguration teaches us. And is this not, my friends, a beautiful truth? Be who you are. I mean, this is the lesson for this evening. Don't try to be someone else. And there's something else to this. How can we possibly convert as we ought, if we are trying to be someone who we are not, right? Joe Holcraft has only one history, right? And I have to be true to that history, mindful of all of, the, all of the things I need to work on because of my failures in the past. My friends, our conversion stops the moment we stop appreciating who we are in the light of where we came from. Quintessential. All right. Chapter 4. Let us go ahead and read chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 
We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. How beautiful is that? Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-6 to are a set of beautiful verses to meditate before the Blessed Sacrament. If you are wanting something to meditate with, either before the Blessed Sacrament or just maybe if you have prayer space at home, right? Light a candle, put a picture of Jesus before you, and just meditate with those verses. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I read that a second time because these words, these verses need to penetrate our hearts. Do they not? Okay, let's explore these verses. Having this ministry by the mercy of God. Now, Paul is commending his apostleship here because as we've talked about, there's been a lot of false apostles. What does he mean by the mercy of God? What does the word mercy mean? There are two principal Hebrew words in the Old Testament that translates God's mercy, and I really do think help us better understand what God's mercy is about. So let us reflect with these words ever so briefly. First, there is the word hased, hased, which means steadfast love, a blood bond of love, the mercy we read of in the Psalms. In effect, covenant love, love defined by the exchange, not of things, but of persons. He and me, and I and him. Robert Stackpole said of God's divine mercy, someone who has the attribute of hased is someone who you can always count on, someone who never lets you down. Can we not always count on God? God never lets us down. Essentially, my friends, this love is what we would define as a dependable love a holy love, a love that rescues. Hased, my friends, contains the meaning of faithfulness, we could say, to one's own promises and commitment to others. Now, the second term for God's mercy in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word rahamim, rahamim. This word is defined as tenderness, compassionate love, which can probably be best understood as a love that springs forth from the innermost place of God's being. Interestingly here, the root word of rahamim is a word that means the abdominal region or even the womb. So this Hebrew word conveys intimacy, tenderness, and God's gentle touch. 
The person who has rahamim is someone who feels for your plight and is moved by compassion to help you. This rahamim in the Hebrew is often used in conjunction with hesed because together they orchestrate the symphony of that beautiful attribute of God's love, mercy. So my dear friends, when you talk about mercy, we understand it as the movement of the heart that is shaken at the sight of another's pain and ultimately seeks to do something about it. It is the act of love of God that wants to fill every void and darkness in the human heart with life and joy. In the words of the great St. Thomas Aquinas, mercy is the compassion in our hearts for another person's misery, a compassion which drives us to do what we can do to help him. Okay, so (laughs) when Paul says, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, he is saying my ministry is an exercise of God's compassion that wants to fill the void in every human heart. And my ministry that can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit is the true outgrowth of God's love. So what does he say? (laughs) We do not lose heart. You see, my friends, God's grace enables Paul to endure opposition and hardships no matter how difficult. And that is so hard to hear. I dislike this verse when I'm struggling. I'm going to be honest with you. I often find that I lose heart when I'm struggling. Who has not lost that sense of purpose when struggling? As Paul says, we do not lose heart. He is encouraging all of us to not lose heart, to be mindful that in God's grace, we can accomplish all things. In a life with the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish all things. This is why we need to pray each and every morning for a life in the Holy Spirit, that we might receive God's grace. We cannot do this on our own. Remember what I said earlier. When Paul was talking about being changed into the likeness of Christ, that Greek there is in the passive voice. Not that we are passive per se and and don't do anything and don't work to accomplish God's will. No, passive in that sense of allowing the Holy Spirit to be the protagonist, right? And then working in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, cooperating with the Holy Spirit, right? You know, what does the word cooperate mean? Cooperatus, co, cum, with, right? With, operate, to toil, to struggle with. To cooperate in God's grace is to struggle in God's grace, to toil in God's grace, to get down and dirty in God's grace. This is what a life in the Holy Spirit is all about when we are trying to do God's will. It's not always easy. Pope Francis likes to say, we need to get dirty. We need to get dirty. We need to smell the feet of the sheep. That's provocative, I know, but the reality is that's what Jesus Christ did. Literally speaking, as he was washing the apostles' feet, we need to do the same. Do we not? Brothers and sisters, you have no authority to teach on Jesus Christ if you do not first understand what I'm talking about now. If you do not first understand that you must anchor everything you do in love, in a compassionate love that at its heart is having a heart for Christ is having a heart for the poor. You don't go out and and teach on Jesus Christ while at the same time neglecting the poor. Why? Because Jesus said, that is not how Christianity works. You feed the hungry. 
You give drink to the thirsty. You shelter the homeless. And when you do all of that, you do it unto me. This is how you encounter me. And so in the corporal works of mercy, we have certainly a foundation there for the spiritual works of mercy. And you've heard me talk about this before. The spiritual works of mercy, instructing the ignorant, counseling the doubtful, forms and informs the corporal works of mercy. They give life to each other. They illuminate each other. But you cannot have one without the other. That is what's so important here, especially in the light of what I'm talking about now as it relates to the mercy of God and not losing heart. Not losing heart. Okay, how about verse 2 here? We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So what's this disgraceful, underhanded ways? Well, this is probably an allusion to the tactics of the false apostles. Paul here appeals to the conscience of the Corinthians as proof that he has always been honest, that he has always been straightforward in his preaching, despite false accusations of being crafty and diverting from the truth. You know, there's something here that, that I ought to speak to. You know, we have this tendency in our nature to, when we want something from someone, we kind of butter them up. We affirm them. We carry on our conversations, talking about certain things. But all we really want to get to is one thing. And it's either, hey, can you do this for me? Or, or I want to get on your good side. I, I want to sentimentalize. So then at the end of this conversation, I can share something with you that I really need to share with you. Because we want to, at the end, admonish them. And because we don't feel comfortable admonishing them, we, we sentimentalize for a little while. And so hopefully by the end of the conversation, they'll receive our admonishment. As opposed to, as opposed to just being straightforward. As opposed to saying, hey, can you do this for me? By God's grace. As opposed to saying, hey, John Doe, I saw you doing this yesterday. And I want you to know this hurt me. And or this hurt your brother or sister in Christ. Why don't we just speak plainly? Well, because we don't like confrontation or we don't like those words or we don't like that word no. And yet, unfortunately, what happens when we're not straightforward, people see through that. People see through that. We just need to speak plainly because if we don't speak plainly, I think the conversations we have lose their integrity. And certainly St. Paul was one who would never lose the integrity of any conversation. And so he says, hey, I appeal to your conscience. I was always straightforward. There's nothing for you to be critical of as it relates to my message. Why? Because in the end, it's a message that belongs to the goodness of Jesus Christ. How about verse 4? In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. So here we have again this language of the glory of God, the likeness of God. What do you make of this language, God of this world? Well, this speaks to who but Satan. Satan is the chief enemy of God and his people. He is the unseen spirit that deceives men, that hardens their hearts, and blinds them to the saving news of Jesus Christ. Yes, was Satan defeated? Of course he was. But what is Paul talking about here? He still operates in the present age, and he will until the end of time. If we don't believe this, 
As G.K. Chesterton once said, read the morning newspaper. If you don't believe this, brothers and sisters, look around you. Look around you. We live in a world that at one time, what was so insane is now considered to be reasonable. Abortion, the atrocity of the killing of another human being in a place that was the most untouchable is now seen to be reasonable. Reasonable. Do you know the word insane literally means without reason? Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that is insane. You cannot apply logic to abortion. Now, in saying that, I have many people close to me who have had an abortion or procured an abortion. And I don't say this to disparage or demean them for sure. And in many cases, I have spoken at great lengths to this because we need to be compassionate towards those who have had an abortion. To the men, men suffer as well in the case of having lost a baby. And as often the case, when abortions take place, we have no idea what we're doing. It is upon realizing the atrocity of what it is that there is repentance by the grace of God. But as I speak to abortion as a means by which Satan achieves a more profound culture of death in this world, it is because we have to understand he is the God of this world, right? As St. Paul talks about it. And we have to speak to it plainly. Silence and neutrality is an agent of Satan. And we have to understand if we go silent on matters of utmost importance, then, well, what do you have? The God of this world winning. And we were put on this world to claim victory, were we not? So let us identify things for what they are and have the conversations we need to have. Always, always, brothers and sisters in Christ, mindful of 1 Peter 3.15, that when we give reasons for the hope of Jesus Christ that is inside of us, we do so in those two important virtues of gentleness and reverence of gentleness and reverence, mindful that these are virtues that allow the conversation to be had. These are virtues that speak to the importance of accompanying our brother and sister in Christ, taking them by the hand. Earlier, I was talking about how we all have our story. Well, for some, that might include an abortion, maybe two abortions, three abortions. I know someone who's had nine abortions. You need to journey with that person because there's many deep wounds. Don't judge that person, condemn that person. No, accompany them, journey with them. Do what God would do. And what would God do? God meets us how he makes us and walks with us as he is. So we walk with our brothers and sisters in Christ as they are in all of their muck and mire, just as you would want someone to walk with you in all of your muck and mire, just as I would want someone to walk with me in all of my muck and mire. I don't mean to be negative here, but I'm just saying, hey, we're sinners. And it's in recognizing that we are sinners that we take that first step towards conversion. You see, my friends, if, if we don't think we are sinners, then why do we need God's mercy? I was just talking about God's mercy. It's only in understanding that we are sinners that we can then truly be open to God's mercy, right? And it is only then, again, that we can take that first step to conversion. It is only then that we open ourselves up to someone to journey with us. We need someone to journey with us. 
And maybe you are that person for someone else. And as you journey with that person, you do it in a spirit of gentleness and reverence. Mindful, my friends, mindful that we are in this battle between good and evil. There are many peaks, but there are many valleys, and we need each other. We know who wins. God wins. But along the way, Satan plucks people out. And if we have anything to say about it, we need to help one another. We need to stop Satan from doing what he does best, which is pulling them away from giving glory to God. If our ultimate vocation is to give glory to God, then what do you think Satan is trying to do? He's trying to cast a darkness over that light. So coming full circle, we identify things for what they are. Because if we don't, then Satan wins. Abortion is a grave evil. And identifying it as a grave evil is absolutely necessary. And as we do so, we are ever present to those around us who may have had an abortion or again procured an abortion. And having that conversation with them. Always, always in love. Okay, I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. If you have any questions, comments, please don't hesitate to send your email on its way. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.